an amazing mom. She's, she's my hero. She's, uh, you know, me, uh, always when you're a little kid, uh, you, you don't see the future, right? And uh, you, if uh, you have a good parent, your parents sees, sees the future for you. And she always saw the future in us. She always believed in us. She, she was always there for us. She's the foundation of this family. You're my, my, you're my true hero. You're my true hero. All right, welcome to Canel and Bell. Hanging out, it is Tuesday. Raj and I back in town. That obviously was Giannis Antetokounmpo after receiving the MVP uh, for the NBA last night at the NBA Awards. Pretty cool, emotional moment. Those are the ones I love showing my kids. Yeah. Like, hey, this is what you put in the hard work for. This is what it's all about. Uh, well-deserved uh, for him. Did you have any problem at all with him winning the Most Valuable Player Award? No, I thought he went wire to wire with it. Um it, it is a regular season award. Um, his team, he was the best player on the best team in the NBA through the entire regular season. The team went wire to wire. So I, I had no problem with it. He was, uh, 27.7 points per game, 12 and a half rebounds, five and a half or almost six assists, shot 60% roughly from the field. Um, he was also in the running for, you know, possibly defensive player of the year or I, I had no problem with him getting the MVP. Do you have a problem with the timing of the award? Because they vote on it right after the regular season, and then they wait until yeah. after it's all said and done. There are some issues, I think, that do arise, but it's similar to the Heisman Trophy. Like the Heisman Trophy, it's voted on December. It's before the playoffs, before the bowls. Um, and they actually, but they do give the award before all that takes place. Um, that one I do think presents some problems because you know, maybe maybe they do a second award like MVP of the playoffs, which they do. It's a Finals MVP. So right. I don't think I have a problem with them waiting this long. I don't have a beef with this at all. I I do think some of them should be fluid, right? Like this was this is regular season. Um, you know, all defensive teams or or defensive player of the year. You know, those are all regular season awards. Um, the the Finals MVP is essentially your playoff MVP, right? Because yeah. he's been the best player on the best team. Through the playoffs. I do think the one that should be more fluent and should be pushed back, if any of them should be, it's the executive of the year. Um, uh, you can't really judge them off of their team's regular season success. I think those awards or that award specifically should be reserved for the entire body of work. And that's whether you've, as a general manager or as a, as a front office staff, have been able to put together the type of team that wins in the playoffs. Uh, and I think that that one should be judged um, independently, it should be more of a fluid conversation that should happen after, you know, the championships, the champion's been crowned. Right. Because sometimes you see like Masai Ujiri who finished fourth That's in the ridiculous. league. Exa- it absurd. is ridiculous yeah. because, and if you said, look at it, like it, part of his plan was letting Kawhi Leonard Correct. rest for 22 games, which turned out to be a master, masterful plan out there. Right. Then he goes out there and he beats the Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs. Is that, you know, like they, I do think some of the things matter because the regular season sometimes is about pacing yourself. You might not be the number one seed in your conf- in your uh, conference, right. but you can see the fruits of that play out over the season. So that one looks like an egregious miss there. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was ninth in the MVP voting, which at the time that now it looks like that's insane or in, you know insanity. But when you think about the fact that he only played in sixty games, yeah, and he was kind of making sure he was ready for this postseason run. It makes more sense. Yeah, and he didn't go full. First of all, he got he was rewarded by winning a finals MVP right. and winning a championship. So you know, it's not like he left empty-handed. You missed twenty-two games during the regular season. It's a fourth of the season, and you've 
you didn't go full Kawhi mode until really the playoffs. It wasn't like, you know, the guy we saw in the playoffs was, was, was doing that every single night. It was more of a well-rounded effort by them through most of the year. Now he played great, but it wasn't like he was having all of those signature moments across, you know, the landscape of the 60 odd games that he played or the 60 games that he played. So, you know, I don't, you know, I, we can nitpick whether he should be five or nine or, you know, four or nine. I'm sure there was some, you know, fluidity there for different guys, but, Ultimately, I don't think they got that wrong, and I think he was rewarded for being the best player in the in the uh, playoffs by by the Finals MVP. I feel like we're dragging today. I think the energy level's lower. I feel good, bro. I just you got do? Off my coffee. I, I, I good. Yeah, man. Maybe been, it's just me. Oh, yeah? right. Like coming back vacation. You, we were both in the I. You were in the islands. I was yeah. in the Keys. So it's just I feel like we got to bump up the energy Let's do it. a little bit. <laughs> uh, but um, I think one way to do it is talk about Giannis. I I didn't realize that he did not play basketball. Until he was 12 years old. And that, I love hearing that because, you know, we talk a lot about youth sports in here. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I think 80% of whether you're going to be a professional athlete or a scholarship athlete for that matter is just your natural ability. What are you gifted with yes. when you came out of the womb? Yes. And then it's going to be all right. And, I, and I'm sure there, and the other 20% that get to be pressed work their tails off to sure. get there. And then the comp, the, the, the combination of you're gifted with the ability and you work your tail off is how you become Giannis or LeBron or Russell West or any NBA superstar, the elitist Tiger Woods. Yes. The, the best of the best is when you get the combination of both. Yes. But I was not aware of Giannis. Uh, not having played basketball until he was 12. It's pretty unbelievable. It, it, it's a pretty remarkable story here. Uh, yeah, genetics are huge, right? In, in terms of, you know, what you could potentially be as an athlete. You, you, sometimes you either have it if you, or you don't. There are people that can overcome that with, with hard work and so on and so forth. When you put the two together, you get the special ones. Um, but even, not like in everyone, basketball, like, you're eliminated if you're, 5'11", and, you know, you can like, you're just not going to make it. Well, correct. Like, so that's what that's, that's going to well, beat out a lot of proportion. One in a million, Will, or one in two, right. two million. But, right. but yes, it is. And so my point is, while it's really cool, you can't use Giannis as a model for kids potentially having, um, right, to take off until you're 12. Cause you're not going to be 6'11". He's 6'11". Right. With a stupid ability to, to combine, you know, hand-eye coordination and athleticism, um, fast twitch and this 6'11 frame. That in and of itself is, is a relative, like, exception to the rule. That's an outlier. So, you know, I, because I look at this, you know, I have kids that play and I, I wrestle, you know, with whether they play too much or they, they train too much or, you know, we're exposing them to, to, to things that are out of their depth in terms of basketball skills that we would have learned when we were pros. What I always fall back on is, if you're not going to be six six eleven two thirty with with all of the things he has, then it might be better to err on the side of being really skilled and learning how to do it at an early age. Right, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> right. you're not going to be that. Right, laying a foundation right. that's there. Uh, so he wins this award. I think he's only twenty four. Is that right, Coke? I think he's twenty four, twenty five. Um, and one thing I've heard from him throughout the season as well, he's got to work on a jump shot. He's got to get better. If he does, which I assume he will, because of that work ethic, because of the drive you see from him. It makes you wonder, all right, how good can this guy be? Is he going to be in that vicinity of, and I won't even go LeBron or Michael Jordan, but go with Bill Russell, Will Chamberlain, because he's a bigger guy. He will be some a hybrid of like the MJ and and LeBron and those guys. He'll be somewhere in the middle. Because, More like Kevin Durant, but he's not going to uh, pop be, out and shoot threes. Yeah, see, that's the next step in his progression. Is is And you saw it unfolding during this year's playoffs. Now it didn't 
He didn't make a lot of threes. But before you can start making all of those threes, you have to start seeing those threes as real viable opportunities for you. You watch Ben Simmons play. He doesn't even see a three as an opportunity. He's not even messing around with it. He he wants no part. You could see Giannis a couple years ago be like that, where he's looking at that three and it's like almost like, nah. (laughs) This year he was stepping into some of them. And so that's one step in the progression to becoming a shooter. The next step is obviously shooting enough of them this offseason to where now you're knocking that that shot down. Once he develops that, he's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen. Kevin Durant is fantastic. Um, Probably the best player on the planet before he you know ruptured the Achilles. Not nearly as gifted physically as this dude. Right. Kevin Durant is slight, you know, you know, kind of narrow shoulders, thin like I mean, it's, it's, this, his ankles are like his calves are like a baseball bat handle. It's this, like the bottom of it. it's so skinny. This dude is a machine. Yeah. Like he's built up top LeBronish. Like what he does around the rim, Kevin Durant isn't the type of finisher in the paint that this dude is. If he can get himself a, a, a jump shot and develop some perimeter game to go along with what he already does, attacking the cup, he'll be Unlike anything you've ever seen. The question is how long does that, you know, how long is his window to, to be doing that? Um, but it, it could be really special for a while. Raja, do you think that, that the NBA folks are, are tired of James Harden's style of play? Because when you look at his season, the things that he did, 32 straight games scoring 30 or more points, first ever to tally 2,800 points, 500 assists, 500 rebounds. He averaged 36 points, seven and a half uh, assists a game. And it's just like he got blown away in, in the voting for MVP. So do you think people are just like, well, he had the ball the entire time, so that's why he got those stats? Or do you think it's just like Giannis really had the better season? Um, I, I think there is some fatigue with James Harden for, for people just watching him uh, kind of dominate the ball. I want to be fair to James Harden. I think some of that was out of necessity when he wound up with no real playmakers around him. There was nothing for him to do on that Houston team other than take the ball. And try to will them to wins, but yeah, I think there's some fatigue there. And you know, it hasn't what you know, this is where it gets interesting because we're not supposed to judge this MVP off of playoff success. Right. But you're human and you watch him fail over and over again in the playoffs, and you'd be naive to to not think that comes into play at least a little bit, right? And so when you see him never really get over the hump with that style, I do think that factors in to them almost unanimously voting Giannis as, as the, the MVP of the league this year. Plus, I, I just you know, when you start really getting down to the best of the best, you take a guy who's equally as good offensively, doesn't need the ball nearly as much. Um, and I don't mean equally, but in the same breath. And now this guy is also a stalwart on the defensive end of the court. I think that gives you a real advantage when you're talking about, you know, me versus you and an MVP, right? If I'm only yeah. a scorer and facilitator and you're a scorer, facilitator, and a hell of a defensive player, you should win it. I think it goes down to if you're asking the question and you were asking the coaches and the players, it's who scares you more. Right. And I think James Harden is scary, but I think Giannis terrifies you because of mismatches. You know, how are you going to defend this guy? Like, it is presenting a world full of problems that you're going to have trying to slow him down. So that would be kind of the the deal breaker for me or the difference maker there. Uh, Luca wins the rookie of the year over Trey Young. Uh, Luca got off to a fantastic start. He came out on fire. I think it was 200 and some points, you know, in his first whatever games. Uh, there's some stats out there. He had a few game winners early in the season and never really looked back. There was, a little bit of criticism last night saying, hold on, maybe Trey Young deserved a better consideration and maybe even could have been the recipient of the award last night. Um, I think Luke is incredible. I just, I thought it was done. And I think sometimes people do make up their mind early because of a first impression, which I do think matters. 
And I think that's probably the reality of the situation. I thought Luca deserved it. He had a he had a great season. I I do think that because of the way us as media treated Luca early on in the process, it was a wrap. Everyone had crowned him, you know, uh, the next big thing, the next uh, Dirk. Yeah, from early in the season, right? Yeah. And that narrative never went away. And Trey Young, while he had a great season and the numbers are up there, they speak. You know, he was only two points away from 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 Luca, one percentage point. Um, in, in field goal, same three point percentage. Uh, obviously he's a smaller player, so he's not going to rebound the same, but two more assists per game. Like they're right in the same breath with each other. Luca just, and it was it, a blowout. It was but 98 to two in the vote. Think about it though. Like people, right. I don't mean to take anything away from Luca, but what did you hear about all year in terms of rookies? It was, right. it was Doncic mania. It was Luca, 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 Luca. And Trey kind of got out the gates a little slow, which a lot of rookies do. Uh, Luca's been a pro for a long time. And I, I thought Trey closed the gap to where it should have been a closer race, but I had no problem with Luca winning uh, uh, the award. I thought he was fantastic this year. He was the most pro-ready of the crop of kids coming into the NBA last year. You explain that because we were talking about that before the show, and I think you brought up a great point that while Trey Young is playing against college guys for a year, which are totally different than what Luca was playing against throughout the last. I mean, he's been a pro for a while. Like the way they do it in Europe, it's a different setup. Yeah, he's been a pro for five years essentially. Yeah. Um, it's a different style of game. So not only are you playing against younger players, if you're Trey Young, you're playing against a lot of zones. You're playing against a lot of you know gimmicky, junky defenses. We everybody lost their mind when when um you know Golden State you know got boxing one in the finals like that. <laughs> that might happen to you six times a year in college basketball, depending on who you are. You know there you see all types of gimmicks. Luca was playing purely a pro game, you know, for the last five years. So, you know, his game was already tailor made to drop into another pro environment. When you're a college player coming out, you now have to figure out how to take this, this gift that you have that you've been executing on a college and high school level and reshape it to fit a pro game. And that determines whether you become a great pro or not. Some guys can do it and some guys just can't find their footing. You know, in an, in an NBA environment and in, in that style of play. And so those guys will wash out. A, a lot of these guys that you see coming in that are top draft picks may struggle or just be mediocre early, take some two, three years. And then in three years, you're like, Oh my God, like, this guy's really doing it. It's just taking him that much time to figure out how his game translates to the pro level. So it wasn't surprising for me to see Luca hop out and look fantastic early while a lot of these other guys kind of struggle to find their footing. Interesting nugget from this year's uh, crop of awards. You had the MVP, the Rookie of the Year, and the Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Rudy Gobert, uh, all European, all yeah. foreign-born players. I shouldn't say European because Giannis is um, not European. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, he's from Greece. Um, but it's... It's pretty, it's like, is that an anomaly or is this telling you something that maybe they're doing things a little bit better overseas? Um, I, I, I'd be reluctant to say better. They're doing it, you know, as, as well as we are in some, in right. some respects. Uh, and that's where, that's where basketball has such an edge over baseball and the NFL. It is a global sport. It really is. Interna I mean, it is as international as it gets. And that's where, that's when you look at like the future of the sport. NFL is trying to catch up. Baseball tries to. Yeah. The NBA is leaps and bounds ahead of those well, other ones globally. What, you know what they do um, in some of these European countries? And, you know, I, I can't speak to Africa because I'm not sure. But um, I, I talked – there was a buddy of mine who um, – you know, Alex. I forget Alex's last name. He was the strength and conditioning um, slash physio for the Cavs while I was there. And he was telling me – he's from Australia. He was telling me what they used to do in Australia. Is they go around and they do clinics at all the schools, right? And they test you. 
and they'd do your measurements. They do, you know, you know, they'd watch you jump. They'd have you do some pull-ups and some sit-ups. And then, you know, where, however you tested, they had charted out what you would be best suited to do athletically. And they start steering you towards that when you're like eight years old. Right. Like you're going to be a rower because your wingspan and, and, and the power that you generate in your lower body, that's going to be good in a rowing environment. And they start specifying you really early. Like we kind of frown on that. We talk about kids playing all sports. But in some of those countries, European countries, they find themselves an 11-year-old that is long and lanky and they see basketball. They put a basketball in his hands. They put him in an academy. And that's what he does. Right. They start – and the skill work is phenomenal. But they are dedicating themselves to playing basketball and they're teaching them early. We, You know, we – specifically around basketball, we don't even want our kids coming out of college going into the pros, let alone like – skipping high school to be in an academy to play pro. You know what I mean? Yeah. So these kids are getting that type of hands-on, almost pro tutelage from the time they're 12, 13, 14 years old. They're playing in academies where their focus is basketball. And so they, they are having some advantages when they come over here um, and you compare them to some of our kids that are playing high school basketball. My whole thing with my kids, and my wife and I talked about this when they were born, like from the time they were born, is I want to try to find what they're good at what they like so you give them the best chance to succeed right. right like my oldest plays golf i love to golf i don't know if she loves to golf but she's really good at it so right. i think that's why i keep pushing her but if i saw a talent in her to play volleyball or basketball or even if she was a piano player right it was something i'd be like all right i want to push them in that direction because you want to be playing to your talents that are sure. out there uh somebody who's definitely played to his talents was the m uh the most improved player which went to pascal siakam this one is another one those, foreign player. Another, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Another one. Uh, and this one was where I would say that the award was given to a player that most people didn't even know about during the regular season. And he really burst on the scene in the postseason. But this is one of those ones where they were like the in the know people were aware of what he was doing. Yeah. Um, if you didn't see Toronto games this year, if you weren't tuned in, you might not know about him. Um, but if you ever caught them play, or if you were watching their box scores, like you would have known about Pascal Siakam. He is a very interesting player because he's not as young as you would think. I don't have his age here in front of me, but he's, he's not, he's 25 already, right? So he's not, you know, he's not a 22 year old, third year, fourth year player. He, he's 25 already, which in and of itself is going to give you kind of inherent advantage against the, the guys that are in your class. Um, but I still think he's he's trending on an upward trajectory in terms of a player. There's still room to grow for him there. And it's it's a little scary because he's really, really good with the ball. He's Giannis Itch with the ball in his hands coming at you. Yeah. I want to be fair to Giannis, right? Like he's not Giannis. <laughs> but in terms of length and fluidity with the ball coming at you in a downhill motion, like he can really get by you, get a shoulder into you and unfold at the rim. He's really good. He knocks down that, that, uh, you know, below the break three point shot at a pretty high rate. He also has to kind of round out his offensive game, uh, find some, some pull up game, find some get to your spot. And I'm really long. I'll, I'll get over the top and then be able to shoot that ball from above the break. But if he continues on this track, I really do think he's a star in the making. Now, it, I, that's what, it, that's where you wonder if, if Kawhi leaves, which it looks like, and he's left on a bad team, can he be a player? That turns into right. the focal point. Right. Does that point? stunt your growth? Right. Right. Or, or does Kawhi being there on top, or, or does that, you know, give him an opportunity to take, an, take another step. step? That's the question. Yeah, for sure. The, uh, the runner up uh, in the most approved was D'Angelo Russell. Yeah. Uh, so pretty, uh, cool there because apparently now he might be willing to go back to the Lakers, uh, now that Magic is no longer there. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. 
Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher. No. Funnier. I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount Plus. Yes! Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. All right, welcome back to Kinnell and Bell. Danny Kinnell hanging out with Rajah Bell here on a Tuesday. So you just read the update there. Tyler Glasnow yeah. uh, s- uh, sidelined for three more weeks due to some sort of Glasnow. injury that's going on. Uh, however you say it. Yeah. <laughs> it's going on right there. Good job. Thanks. Uh, you know who wasn't on the three-week injured list? Yeah, that old-timer with the Michigan cap. So I was watching college baseball last night, and uh, Michigan was playing against Vanderbilt. And they panned to the stands, and they had former Michigan pitcher John Kerr, uh-huh. who pitched from 1960 out, to 1962. Yep. Uh, he In the 1962 regional, he pitched not one, but two complete games Oof. in the same day. 313 pitches in one day. And, oh, by the way, he also had the game-winning sack fly in game two. That's awesome. This dude wasn't out there on a three weeks rest afterwards. He's like he your just grand- went out there and threw the ball every time until you got everybody out. He's like literally your granddad that told you he walked three miles to school and. But he actually no, did. But it. I'm saying and the it one was in, uphill yeah. both right. ways. Right. I love this dude. We need more guys <laughs> like that instead of babying these athletes nowadays, making sure oh you got a hundred pitchers. Let's get you out of there. Uh, all right. So this is kind of an awkward segue because somebody who went out there and tried to play through the pain hey. actually cost him a lot, it cost him a year of his uh, career. Right. And that is one Kevin. Rent. So Rick Buecher, who writes for the Bleacher Report. Kobe Bukes. Yeah, that was your nickname for him because he had nickname. all the inside scoop with yeah, Kobe. He was just a Southern California dude. Like, yeah, I, blonde I, hair. Kobe. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was always on Team Kobe, so. Yep. Uh, so he didn't, so did he shred you for the clothesline? No, we're cool. He oh, and okay. I are cool. Like, right. I, but I call him Kobe Bukes. <laughs> I love it. Um, so he has a report out on Bleacher Report that say several league sources say that Durant is not happy with the team, meaning the Warriors. And the presumption is that it stems from whatever role the Warriors officials played in his decision to suit up. Coach Steve Kerr says he was told Durant could not further injure himself playing, which obviously proved not to be true if Durant was told the same. It would give credence to the notion that as one league exec claims, quote, he's really pissed off at the Warriors. This sucks, but it doesn't surprise me at all. Uh, I know Kevin Durant came out immediately when he had the surgery and he gave the message that you're supposed to put forward. Hey, I'm going to work through this. Sure. It's nobody's fault. Man, now that you're starting to let it sink in and you're starting to look at the mountain you're going to have to climb. Uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's starting to be starting to get frustrated with the way things played out. Yeah, um, listen, I human nature. It's human nature. But from the beginning, when I saw him walk out of the arena after after that took place, mm-hmm. um, his body language to me, like I don't know why, but I think I'm a body language expert. <laughs> yeah, I get I've this from my mom a lot. sometimes. My mom's <laughs> like she could tell you like immediately what's going on with somebody. It's a gift I I, I got. Um he was hot and it wasn't just at the injury you saw like everyone around him was relatively sheepish like like sheepish bob myers was over there crying i was like oh he gave somebody the business like that was just the picture that i saw when he was leaving the arena like you know he was in there mf and somebody and somebody messed up um so i don't think it's surprising that he's upset with what i believe to have happened there i am just listen i don't know for a fact but i think golden state 
saw that window of, of opportunity for the first time starting to shut on them. Yep. They, they saw, you know, their, their own. That team is better than us. Yeah. And, you know, without Kevin Durant, we don't really stand a chance. While they were putting up a good show and, and a, a good face for the public, they knew what was up there. And so behind, like, closed doors with that medical staff, there was a scramble as to what do we do with him? Do we bring him back? And I think at the end of the day, it's probably like 51-49, 51% like, look, we need to protect him, dude. This is not an injury we want to mess around with. And then they lost another game. And that thing flipped to like, you know, 60-40. And it was just like, we got to go get it. And they brought him out there, and that's what happened. Yeah, I wonder if there's any legal course that Kevin Durant could uh, take. You know, I mean, obviously, if he gets the max contract, he's going to be, you know, he's going to get another $200 million, whatever it is. But again, this is a year of your life. Like, that's the thing that really is the hardest part. And it is a harsh, it's lonely. You're not with the team. you got to get there early. It's a grind. It's painful still. Like, sometimes coming back from injury hurts worse than the actual injury itself. Ask Boogie Cousins if this is a year-long injury. Right. It is it's two more years. <laughs> Right. Before he is able to come back and, and look any remotely like he looked before he got injured, it's a two year process. It's one just to get on the court and then you're gonna look terrible because you're gonna be like limping, you're gonna be pawing, it's not gonna look pretty. This is two I, years. Ultimately the one thing I want to know, because you've heard some different viewpoints on this, is the and this is you know fascinating because my dad was a team doctor. I would love to know what the medical staff told either Kevin Durant directly to his face, what they told Steve Kerr, what they told Bob Myers, what those conversations were like. Was there ever a guarantee or a statement that was made from the medical staff that said he will not hurt it worse? I've said this before on the air. If you let that come out of your mouth as a team doctor, right, and you jacked up, right, that should oh, never come out of your mouth. Totally agree. You should never guarantee someone that they cannot hurt themselves further. Like that's just not. You should not do that. Right. And, and I've had it done to me before. Right. But you can't guarantee me that. Right. You know? Yep. Uh So Kevin Durant is not just ticked off at the Warriors. He's actually starting to look toward his future, and good for him for doing so. There are reports that he and Kyrie Irving have met twice to discuss linking up in Brooklyn. Not yeah. the Knicks, as it was so longer um suspected, but actually the Brooklyn Nets, which... Young team, they really started to come along. Kyrie has already been rumored to go there. And you and I both were like, man, that seems like a lot like what he had with the Celtics. He needs somebody else to join him. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Now I think you're starting to see some of the odds makers say, hey, it's minus 125 that Kevin Durant ends up in Brooklyn. I, hey, I think it's great for the NBA. Maybe it's not the Knicks, but you have a team in the Eastern Conference that is starting to build something. And with the with Kawhi Leonard leaving Toronto, with the Sixers trying to get there, uh, the Celtics, they're not going to be done just sitting around. I think this is great for the NBA to get these guys in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head with part of the phrase. You said they're starting to build something because Kyrie by himself, I, I didn't love it. Right. Kyrie with Kevin Durant, even if he's injured next year, I think he's a big enough presence there to kind of you know, manage things to some degree. I like that. And it's not going to be the end of what they do because when Kevin Durant comes back and he's healthy and he's able to contribute, I don't know what their salary cap situation is or who's on their books for how long, but you'll probably have some flexibility. Sean Marks and them are really good. They'll probably be hunting even further. Do you understand what I'm saying? There'll be someone out there on the market at that time that'll be good enough to be the third uh, of the big three there in Brooklyn, ideally. So... You know, if they were able to pull that off, it would be phenomenal for the league, phenomenal for Brooklyn. You just have to hope 
that if Kevin Durant can't be around the team a lot next year, I don't know what the rehab for an Achilles. I don't know if he's there on a day to day, right? Or if he's rehabbing wherever he's from. I don't, I don't know. But if he's not around, you you've seen what can happen. I saw it firsthand in Cleveland with Kyrie before LeBron and Kevin Love got there. And I don't mean to make this about Kyrie, but but that team was in a super dark place. I've recounted that like that story before. That team was just it was ugly. Practice was ugly. Body language was awful. No one wanted to be there. You kind of see what happened last year with the Celtics. There were rumors that it was kind of, you know, it was a little dysfunctional there. Like you got to be careful because you got a good thing going on in Brooklyn right now. And so if, if Kevin Durant can't be around and it becomes, you know, just dropping Kyrie in, just got to be careful that it doesn't, that it so doesn't. Why, why would they, right. why, Ross, why would they even have, like, why would they even consider bringing Kyrie in if you're in sort of that same position? He's Kyrie, if, bro. But yeah, but if you look at what the Nets have done, it looks like, like they've done everything the right way through a, a terrible situation where their old GM basically just gets rid of their entire future. So it's like they're building right now. Why not do it sort of but the Toronto way? Okay. Cause you don't win without Kawhi. Well, it doesn't. Yeah. But if you look at the, the Celtics, what did they win with, with Kyrie? No, but I'm, I'm saying you, you would think that Kyrie in the right situation would be Kawhi. There are levels to this. So the talent, the, the, the talent of Kyrie is too tantalizing for most people to pass up on. Mm-hmm. It is. You just think you can figure it out. That situation in Boston wasn't the right one for Kyrie. What we have here in Brooklyn, the type of culture we established already in our building, he's going to drop in and he's going to be the best version of himself. So these are the conversations the general managers are having. And so while Brooklyn is a nice story, like it was cool this year, they had a good time, they ain't winning jack with that roster. You have to go out and get you Kyrie's and Kevin Durant's, and, and I don't mean them specifically, but players of that ilk to win, and those talents sometimes can be too tantalizing to pass up. You know what makes it a lot easier uh, if this is a kind of package deal? Because Kevin Durant, there's a lot of unknown there. What type of player are you going to get back? Yeah. We're going to have to sit a year without him. That's tough. We're going to be paying him a lot of money just to sit there. But if you're getting two yeah, and you're getting a package where it's going to be Kyrie and KD for the foreseeable future – then it makes it a lot easier to go ahead and sign, all right, we're going to get Kevin Durant because he's going to come with Kyrie. So that makes it great. And you probably – it does make it a, a lot more palatable like to know that you'll have something to, to keep you afloat there. From what I've heard, like what's been out in the media, is that Kyrie doesn't really love Boston as a city. And Ky- Kyrie, Kyrie's an interesting dude. I mean, I, I talk a lot about him. Like, and I, I, you know, Some of it's negative. I don't mean to be negative about Kyrie. I just kind of call it how I see it. In yeah. He's been. He is one of those dudes that I think if he's happy – like his living situation, his off-court stuff is is happy for him. I think he's a better teammate. He was not happy in Boston right. for whatever reason. I don't know weather, surroundings, Brad Stevens, yeah. teammates, whatever it was. He was not happy, and it came across when he starts, like when he's walking into stadium, the arena, and You're you already can already pissed. tell he's irritable. Saying, "I didn't sign up for this." Right. Like that is because it's not going to get any better. The media scrutiny is going to get even more intense if he goes to play in a New York market. Yeah. But if he's closer to family, if he's there and he likes his surroundings, feels like, hey, I'm more of a star. I can build this team up. Sure. Then maybe, maybe it is a better spot for him. Kelly Martin punched a reporter one time. You know, I mean, it, it's just part of part of this game. You know, um, it, it's something that uh, you know. I, hey. I'm a passionate guy about baseball, and uh, I'm a tough competitor. And uh, sometimes you'll see it with the umpires. Sometimes you'll see it with the players. And 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 the thing is, is you guys don't need to see it. Real quick, you know, I understand that uh, I got some feedback that uh, you know it, that I wanted you guys to know that in my my meeting with with Tim, I apologize for my reaction. 
I shouldn't. I regret it. I regret the, uh, you know, the distraction it's caused to the team. And, uh, you know, like I said earlier, it's something that uh, we'll learn from. Um, so, you know, it, it's something I'm not proud of. I'm not proud of the distraction. I'm not proud of what I, what I did to Tim. Um, you know, so, you know, for that, I'm definitely sorry. Oh, my goodness. I tell you what, Mickey Calloway is more of a man than me, Ugh. although I probably would have done it if I was getting those checks, too. Yeah. Uh, so, Mickey, I'll just to give you a little background. So, uh, the New York Mets were playing against the Cubs uh, this over the weekend, and there's a bullpen decision that the press did not like. They uh, He didn't go to his closer because he didn't want a four or five out save. I mean, it's, kind of, it's a little bit in depth. But right. So, he come in and he's getting peppered by all these reporters after a game who already have been writing in the New York Post Daily News, this guy should be fired, this guy should be fired, this guy should be fired. Then they're preppering him about this in-game decision that's made late in the game. And he answers our questions, but he's getting a little bit annoyed. And then after he's done, he goes off the podium, and he's going back to the clubhouse. Uh And one of these reporters, Tim Healy, says to him, See you tomorrow, Mickey. And Callaway, the general, uh, the manager, walks right by him, doesn't do anything. So then Callaway goes in there, gets dressed, he's in the clubhouse, and he starts to steam and stew a little bit over it. Right. So he comes back out Uh-oh. and gives the dude an earful. And he's like, listen, bleepity bleepity bleep. Yeah. You know, you didn't do that. You're showing me up. You're basically, you know, you guys have been crushing me, and now you're making a smart aleck comment about me saying, right. I'll see you tomorrow, because it is, no one knows if they're going to see him tomorrow. Um, Coca is firmly on the Wait, side of the reporter. Was he, was he, was he rumored to be fired? Oh yeah, he's been rumored. So about two months ago, um, the general manager, uh, Brody Van Wagenen gave him like a, like he was on the hot seat. Okay. And he said, we're sticking with him. Like, okay. so he's been, it's, it's been a nightmare season for the Mets. Um, Ooh, so he, so the see, so the so, see you tomorrow was, was, Oh, I think it was a total snarky little yeah. reporter with his pen who thinks he's being funny and didn't like that he didn't just admit he was wrong on his, uh, pitching change and he didn't like the way it went over. So he gave him a little snarky. See you tomorrow, Mickey. Like kind of maybe if you're lucky, you'll see us tomorrow. Like if you don't get canned. Right. Um, so he called him a bleepity bleep. Then, which I actually love, and I think this speaks volumes to uh, the health of the clubhouse, is Jason Vargas, who is one of the players for Mickey Calloway, comes out, sees it going on, gets in like a staring contest, supposedly, with this reporter. Like he said, he was looking at him right. and just staring back at each other. He lunges toward him, towards the reporter, and says, I'll knock you the bleep out, bro, threatens him. And then it blows up in your face, which is what led to Mickey Calloway coming out there and having to do this Mia Culpa in front of the media members, not once, but twice, because the first apology apparently wasn't strong enough. Well, the first one, he never said, like, I'm sorry, or I regret it, or anything like that. So... (laughs) That's what happened. He got back in there and they're like, bro, you never said you're sorry. It's crazy that, that, here's the, I've, I've always said this, I, I'm not placing blame on anybody in that situation. Um, it's heated. It is really heated and there are a lot of emotions and that is, that is, it's, it's as competitive in, as an environment as you can be in. There has to be a relationship between the media and, and the club, right? And sometimes not all media outlets, but some people and, and not all media members in said media outlets, but some people will make it their shtick to be needling the home team, right? It's it's the way they get clicks for whatever publication they're writing for. Correct. So it becomes their persona is to be the 
the in-house guy the who's going to slam your team. Dude, you got to if, – if you are that guy, and I don't know if this is the case. I'm just saying, you know, if you are that guy and people don't like you and you wind up getting in some dust-ups because of it, it's the bed you've chose to lie in. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, it's, it's the world that, – that's, that's what you write about. And so, you know, I don't know all the ins and outs of this one. But I've seen people get after the media before. Like, yep. I, and I don't, like, what's he, why has he got to apologize? Like, he's, did he touch him? Nope. Did he, did he, like, he didn't just hit him? him out. Nope. Didn't lay a finger on him. I, well, so what's the problem? You can write whatever you want about. You can, you have pen and paper, right? And you write whatever you want about. And it's put this guy, Tim Healy's name all over the place. He's gotten those clicks. It's been a story for the news. Why day. I got to apologize for cursing you out? I am with you. Uh, it doesn't look professional. It's not no. what we want to represent. That's what I'm saying with the Mets wanted to put right. forward. Um, I will say this because I haven't played in the New York market. It is different. There is a scrutiny unlike any other uh, city that's out there. There are other cities, obviously, that have pretty intense scrutiny on them. It's just kind of different. It is more vicious. You have the back pages where they get really you – know, they can be really nasty with the yeah. headlines that they put out there, which some of them don't even write. But I remember vividly – having reporters after a game and I would have a bad game and I'd sit up there and the reporter would be like, well, what did you see on that interception? And I would try to explain it. And he'd be like, and then they would go on and sometimes they would try to act like they knew more than me, which bothered me because most of these dudes have not played baseball, football, or basketball past the fifth grade. Yeah. Like, and yet they sometimes feel, and it's okay. They have to have their opinion. But what drives players nuts is when they try to act like they know more than you Bro. and they don't know every situation. And I might have played an awful game and deserved every bit of it. But when you try to tell me what I did wrong, that's what bothered me as a player. And oh, I feel you, dude. There's nothing worse. I sit at home now and, you know, I watch all these dudes on different platforms talk basketball, give you a breakdown of why this guy can't do that and what that team. Bro, how do you know? <laughs> Like real talk. How right. do you know? And I'm not saying like there's just always this debate, you know, in, 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 in sports about whether you can coach something like at the highest level and never have played it. I, I think you can. Yeah. Like, if you learn it, you make it your job and you learn it. But in terms of telling a player, like, you know, if you're a media member and you, you know, you ain't diving into that like a full time coach. Like you haven't watched thousands of hours of video come up through the, the video room, sat in there with, it's not the same. And so their judgment or, or their fix for what's going wrong with said player. It is the most annoying. It is straight pet peeve of mine, dude. I, I, I want to knock some of them dudes out sometimes. Like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. I get uncomfortable sometimes analyzing games, and I'll say it. And I've had producers get mad at me, or you know, just say, "Hey, why don't you don't have to include this?" Because I'll say, "I don't know what the quarterback's read is." Right. And he might have been going through his read, and it might have been this, but there's a chance that the receiver ran the wrong route, or you know that somebody had a missed assignment because you can't, you don't know unless you're in those meetings every day and you're in the huddle and you realize exactly what happened. Now sometimes it's obvious. Guy tries to scramble around, he tries to squeeze one in there, and you're like that was a stupid decision. Sometimes yeah. it's obvious, and I have no problem saying that. But I've had a lot of producers say. You don't have to say you don't know. Just go. Just go with it. It sounds more authoritative and it sounds more opinionated. I'm like, well, I don't like throwing this kid under the bus if he had nothing to do with the interception that was thrown. Right. You know, and you just you're trying to be fair. Online, right? You know, it's 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 one of those things. I think this is the the biggest issue is that in baseball you can see these decisions made. 
So if it's a problem with the bullpen and Mickey Calloway is supposed to be this pitching guy and he's supposed to be the pitching savant and the pitching savior, it's the bullpen and the pitching for the Mets that has been so bad. So it's like you can see the decision being made. Like why is he yeah, but guy out of a game? So you can question some of the But you don't know what's going doing. on with Diaz, the closer. He said he's the, he has never been through a five-out save before, five-out save situation yeah, before. But, the, but after Maybe this he knows game, something. Was... Maybe he has information that we don't know. Maybe Diaz is hungover because he was out last night and he doesn't want but to that's but the that's bus. the thing is that in the one game where this happened he left the dude Seth Lugo in when everybody's like why are you leaving this guy in the game he's pitched 61 pitches out of the bullpen maybe it's time to get somebody else in the game and they blow another game so it's just like you, you question his managerial skills when his one skill is supposed to be pitching so you can see that I look I purely don't I don't have a problem with you questioning, I'm saying if you are going to continue to bark up that tree and you know that I know as the manager, I've already jacked up. Right. And you're going to continue to pepper me and be relatively unobnoxious, I mean, obnoxious with, with your comments. You don't get to feel a way when I fire back at you. That's all I'm saying. Right. Personally, for me. So like, I know you asked Danny the question. I'm going to let him answer Coca. You can ask me a million and one questions. You keep asking me that same question over and over again and I've already given you an answer to it. At some point, I'm going to snap, and I'm going to give you the way I feel about it. All right, so I'm going to give you the perfect uh, follow-up because what probably was happening is the general manager, Brody Van Wagenen, probably was saying, don't pull him out. And Mickey Calloway can't say that to the people say, hey, my GM is an idiot who keeps making me play guys and making the strings instead of letting me do my job because that's the report that's up now. There was a story in the New York Post said that um, – so Brody Van Wagens is the general manager. He's the first year. He's a former agent. And there was a story where he instructed Mickey Calloway, the manager, to remove Jacob DeGrom from a game in Arizona earlier this month while Van Wagenen, Van Wagenen is watching the game from his television at his house. He's texting him and calling, finding out a way to get to the manager and saying, get him out of the game. So if I was Mickey Calloway, he's probably not, he's probably protecting hit everybody by not outing his general manager in that you know adversarial exchange with the media he's not going to just lose it he's going to say i made this decision i made this decision and they're like we don't like the decision and he's like well you guys aren't making the calls and he's not giving you every bit of information because he can't well and van van wagon is the one that came out instead he was sticking with mickey yes so look here's my deal if i'm mickey i'll fall on the sword as long as you're telling me no matter what like i'm good I'm I'm cool with it. Yeah. Uh Van Wagenen has denied it. On Monday, he denied that he was getting involved in these strategic in-game decisions uh following well, the Mets' 13-7 to loss to Philadelphia. Uh, he said communicating with the training staff during games was normal protocol. Uh I would say it's becoming more and more normal protocol that general managers are making more decisions. This is the age of analytics. It's something that Yankees have been criticized, Aaron Boone, uh, because Brian Cashman is setting the lineups and they're saying, hey, this is who we want. And uh, managers are actually getting weeded, weeded out and kind of sh- put to the side. And yeah. the general managers and the analytics people are saying, no, this is the matchup we want. This is when you're going to put in this lefty to face that right-handed pitcher because we've got these numbers. And I hate it. That's it. And that's one thing that Joe Joe Girardi out of New York with the Yankees is he had a mixture of both. Right. And he liked to get a feel for the players and what they were thinking. And hey, if this guy's confident and I've seen him hitting BP and he looks good, I want to give him a chance. And he was getting into some back and forth with the with the uh, front office. Yeah. Because they were saying, no, this is what the numbers, statistics tell you to do. Yeah. I well, I think baseball is a little different 
than basketball in that respect because there were conversations that you would have. You know, there'll be situations where, you know, a, a coach may want to play an older player. Your team's in a rebuild mode and a general manager might have to come in and say, Hey, listen, we're, we're not winning anything right now. Like I know you're coaching for your job, but we're going to need you to roll out, you know, our first round pick. He's got to play. There are situations like that. But when you're on, when you're on good teams and you're trying to win, there are very few situations where general managers going to be sitting up in his box looking over at the bench and, and, and calling for you, you trusted the guy you've hired right and do his job, you know? So that sounds like it might be unique to baseball with that. Oh, it's definitely unique to baseball and it's something that's taken it by storm. And there's a real old school versus new school battle going on right now. But right. the guys that are hiring and firing the front office, they're the ones that are winning and right. they're getting managers who are okay with it because they want jobs. Yes, sure. Which you totally understand. All right. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. So the Lakers were a disaster month or two ago they were yeah. the story of the nba they were a dumpster fire it's been a mess genie bus we haven't heard from her in a while we did see pictures of her with magic johnson out to dinner you would see other things on social media she has spoken for the first time in months quote it was a surprise when magic turns in his res- resignation um i didn't see that coming but everything else has been pretty much as any organization moves forward and changes going into a new season so as much as has been speculated as to what the lakers are doing to me we're in a really good place and we are following our path and our plan going into next season she continues on talking about rob palenka i've always had confidence in rob whatever the speculation that's out there we don't need the outside media to validate the things that we do I'm very happy. I think we're on the right path, but there's still more work to do. There's a lot of changes. Lakers fans, be patient. We're going to get there. We will not finish until we were all proud. Um, yeah, of course you're going to be surprised by the magic, you know, decision. I think magic did owe her a conversation before yeah. he got in front of her. He screwed her over big time. Um, I equate this to like, you know, I'll be at my in-laws houses in Long Island. Like we'll be hanging out and I'll go over to check out my Gene and my buddy Gene and them in Jersey to watch a basketball game. And I plug into like the address and I'm on the freeway and we're cruising, cruising. And then I can't tell what exit it is. And so I panic and I hop off. Yep. And before I know it, I'm in New York City and now I'm really pissed. <laughs> right. And I'm like, damn, I just added like 45 minutes to my trip. Jam. I'm not in like traffic jam, but then, you know, 45 minutes later, there I am at the game. Right. Yep. That's the Lakers. Like they, they had a path. They deviated from it for a while, like they got off on the wrong exit, but they're right back where they said they were going to be, which was Anthony Davis in hand, LeBron James in hand, and now it doesn't matter what level of other player you put with them, right? He can he he doesn't have to be a number one or a number two. You can essentially bring in a number three now, so you don't have to hit a home run in free agency. You just got double, right? You just got double, or or or, or you know. Yep. You just got to get on base now in free agency, and you've got real legitimate action in the NBA. So if you're a Lakers fan, yeah, dude. Yeah, what time? Are we there yet? 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 No, right. we got off on the wrong damn exit, but we made it. And people are yelling at each other. Your kids are screaming in the back. You're like, yeah. shut up. We're going to get there. Yeah. We're going to be fine. And you make it. It gets ugly. Well, they haven't made it yet. Oh, that would be the only thing no, I would no, say. I mean, in terms of, in terms of what they said they were going to do. Yes. Um, they, and it goes back to when they signed LeBron. Because LeBron was yeah. not a win last year. It was a – and that was the biggest criticism was, well, what are you, wasting a year of LeBron? Right. No one thought they were going to win the NBA championship and if, do last you year. Doubt, do you doubt – there's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind that they are going to find someone now with the two of them 
is coming. And I don't mean like so your how are they going to do it? I, That's I mean, to me, how are they going to do it cap wise? How are they going to structure it? No, you don't want to get a max. I mean, you, I, oh, I don't you're know. Saying a good player. I don't know. Like you, you, there are guys around that are really, really good. You got Jimmy Butler's of the world. You got guys like that that, that there are players now. They don't have to be Kawhi. They don't right. have to be Kevin Durant. Um, they don't have to be Kyrie. They can be in that next level of player and be fine because when you put LeBron with, uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie, or you put him with D Wade and uh Chris Bosch. The other two players that play with him get marginalized. It's what happens because he's so good. Right. So you've got to take, you know, and give part of yourself away to the team. So it's not as it's not Im- like imperative that you get another number one. You got two of them now. Right. So the guy you bring in now can be a number three. He's just got to be a good player. I would still say let's see who they get. Okay. I'm, but I think I, I'm like you. I think they're out of the traffic jam. They're out of the worst part of it. Like the, the magic thing was embarrassing. Sure. I still want to know. You know, I was texting you about this uh, while you were away. I was like, w- is it possible? And this was a conversation that happened last week. Did Rob Palenka actually not know some of the ramifications if they waited or, you know, if they delayed the deal? And is he, got, is he kind of caught with his pants down just saying, well, I'll do whatever it takes to get Anthony Davis. And now what? Not realizing how much cap space he has. So that to me still has to play out. Yeah. Like, who, who can you sign? So until I see that, I'm going to say, all right, we're going to, I would ask Griff, um, but I really would like to take my boys to summer league and let them <laughs> exactly. On. So I'm not gonna right. You don't want to put them on the spot right there. Uh, the Jeopardy James update is uh, he w- entered the World Series of Poker, which yep. he was supposed to be this analytics guy, this gambler. Uh, he got bounced after it. 14 hands. Bounced. He finished 454th of 100 of 1800. They're professionals, entrance. man. It's what they do for a living. He was supposed to be a brainiac, though. I thought I he would have done better. They're professionals, like they are. Yeah. Congrats, Jeopardy James, on your run, though. I'm a fan. I'm not. I don't have any problems. He's trying to think outside good, the box. I mean, good for you, fan. dude. But, like, I mean, what? You go yep. hop on a basketball court next because you're great at Jeopardy? Like, you know yeah. the analytics of it? Like, I don't know. <laughs>